Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. So folks, for those who are here for the very first time, uh, why don't you just uh, give an introduction to yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Mike. And I'm Danielle. And we are the Coopers. Huh? No. <laughs> uh, no, no, we, uh, we've been married for 12 and a half years now. We got married July 7th, 2007, 777, so you will never forget. And, uh, you know, so, uh, but yeah, we're excited to be a part and to share with you today. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So, uh I'm going to ask a different set of questions from before. I'm going to start off with one that's just not in our deck. And I'll, I'll call out your production team, some of the question numbers. But um, you've been married for just going on 13 years now. Um, here's one of my personal questions to you. Like, what's uh, one of the most interesting things you've grown to accept about each other that you would not have believed that you accepted uh, before you got married? Except this is not a question they texted in, Rob. No. no. <laughs> so, think. I think, uh, you know, um, for, for us, when, uh, when, when I popped the question and she said yes, and, uh, you know, we went through premarital counseling for, for a little bit. Both of our dads were ministers, and uh, we didn't want either one of them to fight or compete over who's going to marry us. Uh, so we asked uh, Daniel's uncle, and, uh, but this was his second ever uh couple that he had premarital counsel before plus uh you know so he'd never done it before but we said you know it's all good we're you know we love the lord we love each other how hard can marriage be and uh you know so i think that was one of our biggest preconceived at least mine was we just took a lot of assumptions heading into marriage and we didn't realize things like uh washing the dishes or vacuuming the floors could actually be a big deal and we just kind of glossed over those at the beginning I'd say just personality differences, probably. I I like to kind of be in the background, and I'm a little more quiet and reserved, and I'm more one-on-one, and he's very outgoing, and he says what's on his mind. And I think in the beginning, there was this tension between us of, like, especially in ministry of, um, you know, him wanting me to step out of my shell more and me wanting him just to be quiet somewhere. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I think we've kind of grown to appreciate those things about each other now and how they balance us out and make us better. So I think that's probably a main thing that comes to mind for me. Wow. So going on 13 years, I mean, how do you build like devotion and longevity in marriage? Uh, there's a scripture verse that says, uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years in marriage. It's similar. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, to, to build devotion and longevity, I think, uh, a big piece of it is, uh, many times we're a little bit lazy when it comes to relationships. You know, we, we work harder on our careers uh, we work harder on our LinkedIn profiles than our actual marriages or relationships. And, uh, you know, so I think a, a good key to help build longevity, help build devotion is one, have that intentional time with each other. 
Uh, we've learned that we're, we're in the middle of it with, with our kids. And uh, we had joked at the first service that every time we schedule a date night, we also know that uh, one of our kids is going to get a fever and get sick. So there goes the date night, you know, but uh, it's important to still have something uh, scheduled, something on the calendar so you know you have that one-on-one -on -one time just alone, uh, not bothered by kids or interruptions or things. And then another is just, uh, you know, to have a great relationship. It takes work. And uh, it doesn't just happen by happenstance. It doesn't happen by just watching rom-coms, and now I know what a great relationship looks like. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm amazed when they say, uh, a lot of stats, they say, once you graduate college, uh, the average person reads less than three books, not a year, in their lifetime after graduating college. And uh, in order to have a great relationship, I think it's wise to, to read books on relationships. Uh, you know, not just God's word, that's important, but some godly advice as well, uh, you know, to, to be a better husband or wife or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. I think it's important to do those things. Yeah, and I would just add um, just a daily choosing to turn towards each other. You know, I think in the beginning we've talked a lot about our, our own marriage and how our first our beginning was a little rough as far as just figuring each other out and arguments over crazy things and stuff like that. And so I think, you know, um, as we've learned that every time of conflict is the time to turn towards each other and just be like, okay, clearly we're having an issue here. Um, but let's just work through it and not to both go into self-defense mode and back away. And I think that every day is just choosing to do the things that bind you together and lay the foundation day after day after day. And, you know, part of that, like he said, is, you know, once you have kids, making sure your marriage stays the priority. Um, of course, we tend to our kids' needs, and we want them to be happy and cared for. But, you know, a few short years from now, they're not going to be in the house anymore, and we still want to know each other when they're gone, and we still want to have the relationship. And, you know, it's to keep our family together. Our marriage has to be healthy first. Um, so things like that, I think. And just finding ways just to bind your life together. You know, I think um, some people hold privacy a little too close in marriage, especially, you know, we're our own two people. We do like different things and we do different things at times, but everything that we do, um, decisions are made or where are we going this week and who's doing what, those are made together. It's our life together. You know, at any time he can pick up my phone and see what I've been doing, you know, and hold each other accountable in those ways. So, you know, our money is our money. I don't have a secret pool over here. And, you know, different people feel differently about those kinds of things. But I know for us, like m making the two become one after 13 years still, like every little decision goes into that. And so I think that's what helps longevity. So Daniel, yeah, you both touched on um, children. So one of her questions was, you know, how do you make time for your relationship if you're working uh, with kids? Can you just unpack pack that for a little bit? Well, we're still trying to figure that out, but no. We, um, you know, one thing for us, we really noticed when we didn't make it a concerted effort to have date nights, how much our relationship suffered. Even if it's just a couple hours a month that you say, you know what? If we can go out, great. If we can't go out, we are going to, once the kids are in bed, we're going to order takeout. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to catch up on life. Maybe 
just on some things uh, that we haven't had time to talk about and just have fun together. It matters. It matters a lot. And um, again, just making sure the marriage stays first, you know, when it comes to raising our kids and disciplining our kids to be on the same page so that moving forward, you know, we just do what we can. And I think even just having fun together as a family, you know, date nights are great and we have to have those, but there's also something to be said for just throwing the kids in the car and taking a day road trip somewhere and making memories and having fun. That's just as good for our marriage as it is for the kids and our family. And so I think that's something we try to do, you know, during the week we're working and we've got things to prepare for. But on Saturdays, we try to make a family day and fun for our kids and fun for each other. And I think that really helps us with the balance. Uh, I'd say I have nothing to add. I think she said it all. But I think, yeah, it's just uh, how, how do you make time? Uh, the key words is the word make time, you know, and uh, we prioritize what's important. And so we, we've got to sometimes put it on a calendar and it, that might feel rigid, right? Like spend time with my spouse, you know, alert, boom. Oh, okay. Time to spend time, you know, but, but again, it's uh, you, you prior, you prioritize that, which is important. And so you just got to map it out, plan it out and you'll see the, the benefits of it in the beginning. It might feel routine, but over time it, you'll see the benefits of it just by scheduling the time and making time for each other in that crazy season. So pro tip, they do use their smartwatches, y'all, just now you know about your, your folks. All right, I have another question for you. Um, you know, we talk about this expression in Christendom about being equally yoked. I mean, you know, what does it mean to be equally yoked when you're a Christian? It's a great question, huh? You know, what, what does it mean to be equally yoked as a Christian? And, and uh, you know, just to, to talk about it, I, I want to step back for a moment because uh, you know, again, as, as we're talking about this relational advice, uh, we got to go to God's word first, right? And, and then assimilate it into our own lives. When we use the term, e or when the, the writer of the question, or texter, however they did this question, uh, when they're using the term equally yoked, that's a, a biblical term, right? Where uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it in one of his letters to the church. Uh, he talks about equally yoked being a believer and a non-believer, right? And so he clearly says in Scripture it's important to not be unequally yoked, meaning that if God has put a relationship together and God is not at the center of a relationship or one person is a Christian, a Christ follower, the other person is not, that is what is considered unequally yoked. But according to this question, if two people are Christians, what does it mean to be equally yoked well, you technically are, according to the, the Apostle Paul. But I think what, what the, the person who's writing this question, my assumption that, that they're asking is, how do you stay on the same page spiritually? Right? How, how, if we're both followers of Christ, how do we stay on the same page uh, when we're together and following Christ? And uh, the reality is, is that you know, sometimes you're, you're not going to be on the same page you know, because there's backgrounds, there's, you know, some have served Christ longer than others, you know, so th there's a lot that comes into play here. And what's dangerous is where when we ask this question, it, basically what we're saying is somebody's not holding up their weight, right? Somebody's not, you know, put, put in, they're not, they're not holding their end of the bargain. And so how do we stay on the same page? And, and the, the advice that I would give is just always start with praying together. Uh, that's what we talked about at the very beginning of this relationship series 
is that a majority of couples, they can't even pray together. The one time they pray together is when they're at the restaurant about to eat something. They don't know what they're supposed to eat or it's not good for them, so let's pray over this meal. But it's got to be deeper than that. And I'd say start there. If, if you have this preconceived notion of, well, they should be wanting to go to church or they should be reading the word to our kids and they should be doing that, uh, immediately we're, we're setting up a scorecard here. It means you're not keeping up your weight and I'm doing mine. And then remember with a scorecard, there's a winner and there's a loser. For the two to become one, there shouldn't be a winner or a loser. So my, my advice is how do you become equally yoked as Christ followers? Start with prayer because most aren't. And start with prayer, let God lead, and follow what he says. And over time, you'll see it. Nothing more awkward than praying together. But, again, if they're your best friend, then it's, it's okay. You know, th th there's room for growth, and uh, there's room for vulnerability. So that's my advice, my two cents, I guess. So, Danielle, there is another question that was directed at you specifically. And it was, what do you do if you want your partner to join you at church, but they don't want to? Um, well, I think that, first of all, if you're in a dating relationship and this is already a struggle, then I, I feel like that's something that you have to really take a step back and look at. Um, because moving forward, you know, on the unequally yoked thing, it's, it's kind of always going to be a little lopsided, you know, um, we marry someone for who they are. And, you know, um, I think probably one of the greatest relationship killers is wanting to change someone, you know, um, to be the way you want them to be. So if that person isn't yet a believer, um, and you're not married to them, I, I would really, admonish you to take a step back and just think through that and how that's going to work moving forward because to be honest we just we haven't seen many cases where you know um oh he, he came to church and he's you know we're going to do this together um sometimes it can be a very long process and if you know you have you need to assess um what your calling is <coughs> and you know how that's going to work moving forward and i would say for married people um you know, just continue to love your spouse and pray for them. You know, you've made that commitment and it's by no means hopeless to think that one day, you know, maybe they'll want to come to church as much as you do. And I think just continue praying, allow, um, just relinquish that control, um, give it to God and just expect God to do a work in their life and give them a reason to want to come to church, you know, like, uh, living Christ out in your relationship and in everyday life, uh, I think could be no greater testimony um, to help someone maybe open up to the idea of following Christ. And yeah. So I want to take the next three questions as looking at maybe the beginning of relationship or even pre-relationship when someone's starting a relationship. And then I want to talk a little bit about maybe even end of relationships. So for like pre-relationship, and I, I love this question that came in. It was the number two question, by the way. You know, as a single person, there's a couple of people that felt the relationship series wasn't for them. So their question was, or several of your questions were, you know, what advice do you have for singles and singles who are not looking for a spouse? It's a good question. And, uh, you know, we, we understand a lot of times at church when we share uh, certain series or stuff, sometimes it applies for our stage, our season of life. Other times we, we take it in and we store it for, for future areas. And I would say if you're in this spot where, you know, you're, you're single, first off, I think the church has done an injustice over the years where we 
kind of like look down and pick on single people, you know, it's, and uh, understand that single is a whole number, right? It doesn't mean I'm less than or I need someone else to complete me. And I think the church ought to be a place where, where we share that confidently and say, you know, again, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ united together as a church family. Uh, so, however, though, uh, there's a lot of times that we, we pursue this, that I need someone to complete me, and therefore I don't have someone to complete me, so whatever we're talking about this series is not for me. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff in this series can be applicable, you know, as we're talking about fighting fair. Uh, again, New York City is a city of conflict every now and then, right? And so there's some things that, that can apply and that can work in that area. But, but if you're here and that's your, your phase of life right now that you're single, you're either waiting and you've tried all the apps and it's not working right now, or you're like, you know, I've just kind of reserved myself that, that, you know, spouse is not for me and I'm just going to keep following what God has for me. At the end of the day, we don't need another person in order to help us follow God's call for our life, right? Uh, God used people greatly who were single, right? There's Paul, there's uh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus, right? So there are a lot of people that God used, uh, you know, in spite of that. And I think, again, the, the, the key thing is focus on what God has called you to do, right? Just because the relationship, relationship status is checked off or not, doesn't mean I can't follow what God has called me to do. And so uh, really the heart of this entire series is about prayer and just seeking God, whether it's together, individually, right, is to become more like Christ is the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so that's, that's my advice for someone who's single uh, and maybe not yet looking for a spouse is keep seeking God, follow his call, and keep moving forward in what he's called you to do. So I'm going to ask one of the top 10 questions, but um, I, I want to modify just a little bit. Uh, one of the top 10 questions is, do you believe in premarital sex? Uh, but I, I know that many times people ask us a follow-up question after that in church as well. Like if you're engaged in having uh, sex with someone, should you go ahead and marry them because of that? Could you answer uh, both parts of that question? Yeah. So last, uh, or last service, Rob uh, set it up like this. He said, hey, we're going to do a couple rapid-fire questions. So I was like, okay, no big deal. I'm thinking like M&Ms or Skittles, you know, like what's your favorite candy? And he asked that question. I was like, that's not a rapid-fire question, you know. <laughs> but uh, so to kind of talk about it, right, premarital sex, and I think a lot of times what we have to look at is when we look at God's Word, we have to honestly ask ourselves, is this good advice or is this a book that I can build my life around, right? Is this a, a book that's just good advice and, you know, I'll pick and choose what I want to follow of it? Or no, this is what is going to define my life and this is, this is how I'm going to follow it. And, and I think it gets real dangerous when we determine the other, right? That we're just going to pick and choose. It's a good book. It's like a kid's book that I read to my own kids. But uh, really, God's word is the standard for what we're to live our lives by. And so a lot of times culture will try to say, well, the Bible was written 6,000 years ago, so that's a long time ago. Like it doesn't understand today, doesn't understand 2020 and where we're at today. But, but again, I think there's a lot of timeless truth in God's word that applies for our everyday life. And it does touch upon this topic of premarital sex and, and what exactly is sex. And so I would just say if we look at the Bible in its entire context, Old Testament New Testament, 
Jesus' words, Paul the Apostle's words. It's pretty consistent. And it says that sex is meant to be between a husband and a wife within the context of a lifelong committed marriage. It says anything outside of that is outside of God's will for our life and for a couple. Now, today, culture would say that's sterile. Culture would say that's old stuff, right? That, that's, that's then, that's not really now. But again, I, I would just advise that, that God's word, it, it's clear, and it says to follow these areas. When we don't, we, we open ourselves up for consequences. And we see it all in culture today. That uh, They say the average uh, woman has between four to seven different sexual encounters before marriage. Now, you can't tell me that's not complicated. You can't tell me that doesn't distort things and make things a little awkward. And uh, sex, once it enters a relationship, it, it changes it. It really does. And, uh, you know, because it's meant to be between a man and woman within the context of lifelong committed marriage, uh, we believe that's not only what God's word says, but it still applies for us uh, today. So to answer the follow-up question, I think it was, uh, say your follow-up question again. The follow-up question would be, so if someone is engaged in a sexual relationship yeah. right now, they're not married, should they get married? Right. Because and of that. That's a big question too, right? So, okay, Pastor Mike, we want to make this right. So let's let's go ahead and get married. And, and I love the opposite. Sometimes we've dealt with a lot of couples, and they'll say, you know, well, we're married. I mean, marriage is just a piece of paper, right? I love that excuse. If marriage is just a piece of paper, then go get the paper, right? It's not that hard. If it's just a piece of paper, go get the paper. You can do it. Uh, but at the same time, don't, don't cheapen marriage to just a piece of paper. Uh, but, you know, I, I would encourage you is if you're in that and you're like, well, what do we do? Do we make this right? Do we, you know, get married? Do we not? I, I would say just hit pause and, and just, again, pray, seek God and ask, you know, God, what, what, how do we live and how do we follow in this? And, uh, you know, maybe it might be, hey, let's, let's go ahead and get married. Maybe it might be, let's just hit a time out and just pray and assess where our relationship really is and what we're founded upon and what we want to be the center of our relationship. So that's just my quick advice. You, you had a good thing that you said last uh, service, too. Yeah, I just shared an illustration that I had heard that I thought was the good kind of analogy um, for sex and it it describes sex as a fire that within marriage which is the fireplace it's safe and it's beautiful and it's something to be developed and you know um, provides warmth and all it's a beautiful thing within the context of marriage but you take away that fireplace context of marriage and fire it's devastating, it's destructive, and you're going to get burned. And so um, I think it just was a good way to kind of see, you know, how uncontrolled it can get when not within the confines of marriage. And I believe in the word it's clear that God created sex um, for marriage and that his purposes for it are greater than, you know, what we, um, I guess, assign it to when we, you know, just casually or even within a committed relationship outside of marriage decide that we're going to do that I just don't believe it's God's best plan for us and that he wants more for us um, and created it for more so it leads to this question we talked about it before you know how do you really know uh, when someone is the best person for you and does God tell you that's a good one how, how do I know right does God tell me like so for example 
Uh, I can remember the day. It was March 3rd, 2006. The Lord descended from on high, said, Michael, my son, because that's how God approaches us, right? Danielle is thy woman for you. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I knew it, right? And, and uh, uh, no, it's, it's not like that, all right? It's not. And a lot of times if you're dating someone and you always ask that question, right? How do I know? How do I know if the person's right for me? And we've all heard this advice. Somebody will tell us, they'll say, when you know, you, you know, right? That is not cool, right? When I know, I know. Well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you, right? So don't give me, you know, random advice. And, uh, you know, but I, I would say a lot of times we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when it comes to this, finding the right person for us, finding the perfect person for us. And, and we liken it to this, you know, there's us and God's got someone for us, right? And there's 7.5 billion people in this world right now. So we better choose wisely, right? That's immense pressure, right? I need to know if I find the one, if I find the right one, what if I find the wrong one and then I marry the wrong one and then we have kids, are they the wrong kids? Am I supposed to be with that person? And there's so much pressure that, that we put on ourselves. And uh, Andy Stanley, he's a Christian writer, but also a, a pastor at a church in Atlanta. He said that at best, with every major life decision we have in life, we're about 80% sure of that decision. And you think about it, it's true, right? Do I take this job or not? I don't really know, but I feel like this is the right choice. And then, then you choose it. Should I move to New York City or move out of New York City? I, I don't really know but I make a choice and then I spend the rest of my life managing that decision. And so if you're here today and you're like, I need to find the one, understanding you're, understand you're setting them up for incredible pressure because they need to be the perfect person for you. And by the way, I know you're awesome, but you're not perfect either. I'm not perfect either. So you're falling, they're falling, right? And so we're going to have these tensions in relationships. And so I would say just, just take that pressure off and just know that God is going to lead you. He's not going to lead you down a bad path. But just make it a matter of prayer. Make it a matter of intuition. Let the Holy Spirit lead as to whether or not this is the right person for me or not. And chances are, I would just say this too, if, if you're at a place, I have this theory in life that whenever we're at a crossroads in life and we don't know what decision we're supposed to make, I honestly believe that's a farce. I think the reason why we're at a crossroads and we don't know what decision we need to make is because we're terrified of the consequences of making that decision. And so often we know what the decision is. We just don't want to come face-to-face -face with it. And so um, don't know. Dr. Phil. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, and I would agree just um, to pray for discernment. You know, the Lord gives us his Holy Spirit um, for all situations. And this is one of them that I just feel like, you know, if you have a check in your spirit about something or um you know, I think we all have people in our lives that we trust with the deepest parts of us, you know, whether for women it's girlfriends and guys have, you know, guy friends or your mom. Dudes. Or your dudes. Um, your mom, your grandmother, your dad, you know, whoever it is, people that regularly speak into your life that you would bring life decisions to. I see too many people that I feel like for some reason they hold relationships back from that. I'm not saying get everybody, take a survey of everybody's opinions, but if one of your closest friends who you've confided in over years and you really trust their advice comes to you with something and says, hey, you know, 
I see this in your relationship, and I just felt like I needed to share that with you to take those things because I can't tell you how many times we've seen it where people would say, you know, my friend said this, and my mom said this, and I didn't understand why she didn't like him, or my dad didn't like her, and you know, and just you can't have other people make your decisions for you, but I do feel like there is something to be said if there's someone that you have trusted to speak into your life in other areas to allow them to in that area if they had something to say because I feel like that's part of the decision-making process and sometimes um, how God uses people in our lives. But, um, yeah. So, Danielle, to that exact point, I, I want to pursue that no path. So let's say you know people spoke into your life and a relationship ended. This is one for our top five questions. How do you accept the death of a friendship slash relationship? How do you grow and move on from the death or end of a relationship? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I feel like there's a definite grieving process, you know, and it's never easy to let a relationship go or to deal with heartbreak, especially the longer and more invested you were in it. Um, but I just pray... Uh, I think that prayer is a, a huge part of that, just giving it to the Lord. And sometimes I do think that it does, you know, depending on the depth and the longevity of what you're going through, you know, sometimes you might need even an outside voice, a therapist or some something just to speak into that. Um, if we're talking about a long relationship, either a marriage or a dating relationship that ended, um, but mostly I'm speaking from a women's perspective. Um, I think when uh, relationships end, a lot of times it affects us and it hits maybe lies we believe about ourselves that we either weren't good enough or we should have done this differently or maybe if I had been more this way, especially if you've had things said to you that were hurtful. And I just encourage you um, in, in that season, probably more than any other, to make sure that you're believing what God says about you as you're moving forward and you're not carrying baggage from a broken relationship forward with you and believing that, you know, you have to attain to these standards in order to be good enough for someone. You know, we all want the best that God has for us. And, you know, if you're striving for that, then you're good enough. You know, the Lord makes you good enough. And we're all imperfect people uh, matching up with other imperfect people and, I think one of the most important things in moving forward from brokenness is just believing that God has redemption in those broken places and uh, just keep moving forward to allow yourself to grieve, um, but not to take it so deep and hard that you just can't move forward into other healthy relationships that God might have for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a deep question, you know, because... Uh, as I'm looking at this question, I'm, I'm assuming that the person asking it is saying the death wasn't the death of the relationship wasn't caused by them. It was probably caused by the other party. And uh, I remember the first time I was broken up with, someone said, "It's not you, it's me." It's not true, but you know. And uh, I remember one time, just heartbreak, crying, you know, and snots and everything. Just God, why, you know? And and then I forget one time being at a youth camp. And the guy was like, you know, what is it that you want most from God? Ask him and tell him right now. And I was like, I want my girlfriend back, God, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, what we have to, to understand is uh, Scripture says God's ways are not our ways. And some that's easy to believe when things are great. Really hard to believe when things are not so great. To say, God, I, I believe that your ways are, are not 
my ways. And, and so you've, you've got to trust that uh, God, God's still working everything out on our behalf, even in the midst of a death of a relationship. Um, uh, one of the passages that I read a lot is uh, in Exodus when the Israelites, they, they were in slavery. They were asking God for help. God finally rescues them and redeems them. And so as they're traveling from Egypt, slavery, bad, to the promised land. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. What's the name of the place? The promised land. Okay, I could, I could trust that. But every time they hit a roadblock, the Israelites immediately said, we want to go back. We want to go to slavery. God, we don't know what's going to happen right now, so we want to go back. And God is just like, <coughs> you fool, just trust me. And I think sometimes that that's how we live our lives is we hit a roadblock. God, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I, but I want that relationship to be back together. And God's saying, no, 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 I've got something better for you. I've got something more than you could imagine. Just, just trust me. Ride it out. Understand, uh, my ways are higher than your ways. So accept the death. Why? Because before God wants to do something new in us, sometimes he has to break us. Sometimes he has to change out the old. And so we just have to accept that, that, you know, it might be bad, it might be tough, but God's creating. He's doing something new and I'm going to walk and journey with that together and hold on to God during this time frame. So you both talked about brokenness. I want to ask one of the deepest questions that we did receive. Um, it was actually, you know, question number 15, which is, you know, how do I let go of fear and suspicion in my marriage with a recovering alcoholic when trust and safety are broken? But I, I want to modify that just a little bit. I mean, uh, we're talking about alcoholism here, but insert our opioid crisis or just any real case where trust might be broken. How would you both address that question? I'll go first. <laughs> uh, that, that is a loaded one, right? You know, and uh, I think uh, we have to understand too today, just uh, in a relationship, we have to understand for the two to become one, what that means is what's mine is yours and what's yours is, is mine, right? And so we, we hear a lot of times, I remember one time we were out uh, with another couple and somehow it was groundbreaking news that the husband has a secret stash of money and he could spend whatever he wants, but don't you dare touch that. We're like, oh, this is awkward right now, you know. So we, we got the check, don't worry. I know you got a stash, but we'll, we'll pay for it from our stash, you know. And so a lot of times th there's a little bit of awkwardness in that. Or even we say, uh, I tell people all the time that, that Danielle, as my, as my wife, she has any and every right to pick up my phone at any point and just look at it. If I live my life to a spot where I have nothing to hide, my phone is, is her phone, right? And so uh, she could check my browsing history. She can check who I text, which is not many people, just Rob and my mom and dad. But, you know, like uh, she, she can view all those things. Why? Because we're, we're married. And if there's something like this, right, like I feel like trust is broken or I feel like we're dealing with an addiction of some sort, uh, my biggest piece of advice is go to counseling. Go, go today. Don't wait. Uh, the moment that you think you might need counseling, you do. Go for it. And uh, what you need is a, another person in that party to help explain, to help draw out why there's trust, why there's uh, trust that's broken, why there's suspicion. If there's an addiction like alcohol or opio opioids or anything else, um, you know, it's, it's important to deal with those with, with a professional. And, again, it's, it's about... Uh, for a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, it, it, it takes two healthy individuals. And so when one is sick, 
the other needs help, right? And so you got to go to help together to deal with it and tackle it uh, together. So that's my advice. I don't really have anything to add. <laughs> anything that was, yeah, just get the, the help together that you need because a lot of times in that situation, it's too hard to just keep battling it out with each other. Uh, I think you need a third party there to really um, help you navigate that together. The person with the addiction, um, obviously, is probably going to need to keep moving forward with professional help themselves. And, you know, you guys going to counseling together would um, just help move the relationship forward through that process. I'm going to throw a curveball at you completely, just one that came to my mind. Um, what do you like most about Mike? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this, right? <laughs> um, he's he's a great husband and a great dad, a great <laughs> family person. He really is. He keeps us first, um, and I think that nothing means more, you know, to me and our boys because I always feel valued because he doesn't make rash decisions or he doesn't leave me in the dust you know he thinks through things very carefully through the scope of how it'll affect me and our kids and um, he prioritizes his time you know to make us feel loved and he goes out of his way to make us feel loved so <laughs> I think that's what I appreciate most about him. Wow. <laughs> I, I think you know the question that's coming right <laughs> Uh, Thank what you, do you for like asking her first. <laughs> what do you like most about Danielle? So, uh, what I said, like back in in the day when we were dating, is I think Danielle's got like the sweetest voice in the world. You know what I mean? One time, back in the old school days, uh, she recorded. She went to Thailand for six weeks, and this is when we did like snail mail, like wrote a hand letter and an email, and that was it. And uh, but she recorded a, a picture frame. They pushed the button and said, "Hey, I love you." Oh, it's like, yeah. And uh, the battery died. I played it so much. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so I, lo I love her voice. But uh, one of the things that, that you don't know about Danielle is that she uh, prays a lot, you know, and just uh, really writes, like, journals of, of just prayer over the years, uh, prayer for our boys, uh, prayer for us and our relationship and marriage, prayer for our uh, ministry. And I've always appreciated that. And uh, the most recent one, back in the day when I was younger and more naive, uh, she could see my blind spots. Isn't that amazing? The women, they could see blind spots better than us men, and she could point them out. Back then, I was, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I know what I'm doing. Now, I'm like, oh, she's right. And uh, But I appreciate that a lot about you, too. So Keep me from ruining everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's really obvious that the two of you love each other. Um, I, I'd love to ask you one final question each. Uh, something that maybe people could even write down on their wall and take with them. I mean, if you just had to tell uh, the second service today, you know, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave them with? What would that be for each of you? Well, I shared with the first service too. Um, I think just emphasizing that relationships, they take hard work. Marriages take hard work, you know, and I said it a few weeks ago, but that we shouldn't be afraid of that hard work. You know, um, God created marriage to be a beautiful reflection of his love. And I just think learning to love a human being as selflessly as you need to to make a marriage healthy and sustainable, I think it's um, just a really important thing, and it's worth fighting for. And 
Um, so those who may be new in marriage or maybe going through a tough season in married marriage, you've been married for a while, um, just to be able to keep your your mind on what your dreams and desires and goals are together and to know that this is a season that it's part of building a marriage is just to look at your current situation even when it's like man I just why do we argue so much and why can't we figure this out um and I think it's just sticking with each other through it. And especially, I want to say to newlyweds, if you haven't had premarital counseling, I would encourage you to go to couples counseling uh, sometime in the beginning of your marriage because that's something that we wish we had just done. We thought it was a sign of weakness and that we were surrendering to you know, um, something bad by saying, you know, oh, we need help. And really, it's a sign of strength and shows how much you care about your marriage if you're willing to go together and say, hey, we want to learn to communicate better. We want to learn to deal with our stuff better. And uh, you'll never regret that. And so I just think, remember that it's supposed to be hard work because it develops character. It makes us more like Jesus. It really does when you have to learn to love someone selflessly. And um, I was sharing that this weekend we took a trip down to uh, Delaware um, to just – we like to throw our kids in the car and go for a drive some days, take them to parks along the way, do a little shopping. We ended up in Delaware um, near where we got married and where we started our life together. And I was with my boys in this park where Mike and I used to go, and we used to walk this path, and we used to just pray together about, you know, and dream together about what it would be like to have kids one day and what will our kids be like and where will God take us from here and where will we live and what will he do and what what are we hoping and believing for. And just to be in that park yesterday um, for one of the first times in years and just to watch my boys running around and just kind of thinking, Lord, you've been so, so good. Thank you for your faithfulness that even – you know, in ministry when we've had heartbreaking times and been like, Lord, is this really what you have for us? That we could keep our eyes focused on what the Lord had spoken to us for each other and just worked through that. And I just think it's one of the greatest blessings as you build your marriage to be able to look back over your life and to see how faithful God's been and how worth all that work is and just to be able to celebrate that together. Yeah, I guess uh, what I'll say is... Uh, <coughs> I think um, just don't take yourselves too seriously sometimes. You know, so many times we, we we try to appear perfect or appear right. Well, I'm the man of the household. And what I've learned is anytime you got to claim you're the man of the household, it probably means you're not at that moment. So you got to work on that. But, uh, you know, or you're the woman, you got to do this. And, that, you know, a lot of times we, we just take ourselves way too seriously. Uh, life is short and in, enjoy each other. Uh, God is our, our spouse, our partner is God's gift to us. And too many times we squander the present because we're looking either back at the past of what we would have done different or looking to the future of what we want to do, you know, moving forward. And we miss the moment of right now. And so just be present. Be in that moment. Celebrate today and what God has given us in this moment and enjoy it. Don't take yourselves too seriously and uh, always keep Christ at the center. I can't change my partner, but Christ can, and Christ can change me too. And so our prayers are never void. They're never insignificant. When, whenever we say the only thing you can do is pray, that should be our first response, not our last response. And uh, God does hear our prayers. 
God is moved by prayer. And Jesus himself said, you have not because you ask not. And how many times do we miss out on the things of life or miss out on the great things God has for us just because we're afraid or we forget to ask. And so when it comes to relationships, seek God. Seek God personally. Seek God together. And uh, there's always going to be storms of life, but if you have Christ at the anchor of your life, you'll be able to weather those storms. So on that note, I definitely want to thank both of you <clears throat> for being so transparent for all of us and also for leading the church. And, and on a point that you made, Danielle, um, you know, prayer is just so important. Would you mind closing us in prayer? Sure. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray for everyone here who's married or in a dating relationship or those who are uh, single. And I just pray, God, um, for each of our relationships, God, um, that you would be developing us to make us more like you so that we can love each other well, God. And I just pray that you would give wisdom and discernment where it's needed, that you would... Um, I pray against any of the enemy schemes, God, just to take down marriages and destroy families, Lord. I just pray that we would all stand firm and steadfast and just follow hard after you and to recognize the attacks that are thrown our way, God, that we would work through it, that we would work day by day just to love each other well and that our marriages and our families would be a reflection of how good you are, God, and how much you love us. And um, for everyone here in a dating relationship, just pray for wisdom there, God, um, that you'd help them to pursue, be pursuing you together, God. And I just pray a special blessing over everyone here um, that you'd help them to walk in your ways each and every day, God, and just to make us more like you and to have that fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.